Okay, good morning, everyone. I did hold it over to a weekend today because I got I got stuff, <laughs> stuff I wanted to finish, namely Luxottica. We'll talk about the moment. So everyone's joining. Like I'm in my my Twitter here, tweeting about the video. Why are there still the same people using Twitter to keep complaining about how much they don't like Twitter? Complaining. <laughs> Mostly about Elon. I'm not going to name the person because I don't want to chuck him under the bus, but it's not just one person. One person stands out a lot. A lot of others. So it's almost like you've broken up with an ex and you can't stop talking about them. <laughs> so that's what it feels like. Get out of their bed. Like go to Mastodon or Blue Sky or whatever. You... Or stay here and make it a decent place. But uh, people on the internet. Who's here? Joel. Evening, Troy. What are the chances of me being first in the chat? Um, reasonable. Reasonable if you're in early enough. Welcome, Joel. Wayne's here. M. Vendam is here. Greetings. Hello from Ireland. Now I'm going to butcher your name. Chow. Oh, geez. Chow. Sounds like Chow, but that sounds too Italian. Uh, Matt's in Minneapolis. G'day, guys. Thank you very much for joining. Uh Yes, great buzz on the .zip TLD. Where did I put that in my uh, in my order of operations today? I, I will talk about that because I think that that is a fascinating uh, a fascinating topic. I'm waiting for people to get really upset about that. <laughs> I, I feel like it's going to happen. I'm not going to talk about that. Where did I put that? Second, I'll talk about that second. There's usually method in the madness for the order in which I do these things. Now, speaking of order, so first things first, uh, sponsor. Sponsor, as uh, as is almost always these days, is Collide. Collide can get your cross-platform fleet 100% compliance, zero trust for Okta. Want to see for yourself, book a demo today. Now, Collide has been ensuring that only trusted devices are allowed on your network and then doing the whole zero trust thing, being designed for Okta, working on Mac, Windows, Linux, and, of course, Android, which is... Uh, it's pretty much everything these days. It's not much left after those four. Mac, Windows, Linux, iOS and Android, sorry, after those five. There we go. They do cover all the things. Big thanks to uh, Collide. You're going to see a lot more of them throughout the remainder of this year as well. Uh, we, uh, we're certainly going to maintain that relationship. So I really appreciate their support and giving me the time to be able to go online and argue with people about .zip TLDs and files and all manner of things. In less controversial news, let's jump straight into it. The uh, the ABC. I, I seem to be able to find most of my things by going back through my tweet thread. <laughs> it's just searching for things I've tweeted. Where were we here? Okay, so ABC, which is Australia's broadcasting corporation, which is a, uh, a state-sponsored media outlet. Thank you, Elon. <laughs> Great organisation. I do a lot of stuff with the ABC. Um, for those of you from other parts of the world, you wouldn't see this, and I don't normally even, even share it, but every Monday I go into an ABC studio here on the Gold Coast to do a section on the radio about scams. Now, this is an ABC Gold Coast outlet, so we have ABCs in all parts of the country. And we have... How many people do we have on the Gold Coast now? 600,000, 700,000? Uh, Gold Coast population. What are we up to? Uh, 500, as of 2016, 540,000. Must be more than 600,000 now, surely. Anyway, it's uh, it's our sixth largest city in the country. So I go on the ABC uh, and we jump on the radio for 10 or 15 minutes and we talk about scams and people call in and they've got questions about scams or they message about scams and things. Very consumer focused. So I do a bunch of that. And of course, ABC has just got media outlets all throughout the country. And very often there's a data breach story and there'll be uh, ABC radio in Perth and we'll talk on the radio. And then there'll be someone in Melbourne and then there'll be someone in Darwin or who knows where. So it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a very large organisation within Australia with just lots of different bits which target their own audiences. However, abc.net.au is the main website there. And we have been working on a piece for the last few months about how to better visualise data breaches in ways that consumers can uh, absorb them. Now, I'm just going to drop into the comments here in case anyone wants to play with this. Uh, drop into the YouTube comments here. This is the URL of the service that they've stood up. And they sort of give a little bit of an explanation, a bit of background. So what Have I Been Pwned is. And they say, enter your email address, classic Have I Been Pwned style. So I'm going to chuck in my old Hotmail address here. 
because that's very apparent. And it generates a portrait. So it says the, the portrait of your identity starts with an email address. And what they're trying to do here is say, this is sort of the entry point, and then there's all this other data that builds up around it. And we scroll down a little bit, breach by breach, we're going to watch your details fill in over the years. The first breach you showed up at, up in, was at LinkedIn back in 2012. Now again, this is me. And we've got this like mosaic background here, which is starting to fill in the bits of data that were exposed. So I've got a little blue box in the password and a little purple box in email address. And it says in this breach, email addresses and passwords were exposed. To protect your privacy, Have I Been Pwned does not store a record of whether you're, you personally had each of these individual uh, pieces of data breached. So the visualization here shows the worst case scenario. And you keep scrolling down. Later that same year, you were caught up in a breach at Discuss, which included email addresses, passwords, and usernames. And we get another blue box of passwords, another purple box for email addresses, a darker purple box for usernames. So each class of data, they've given a different color. And then as you scroll through the data breaches, this mosaic just keeps filling up. This is only the start of your history of exposed data. I'm very pwned. Another Dropbox followed in 2012, and we get more data fill in. With each successive breach, more pieces of your identity are falling into place. Your email address also shows up in a breach at Tumblr, which exposed email addresses and passwords. 2013 was Adobe, the thing that started it all almost 10 years ago now. And we keep going and going. And of course, mine's kind of massive. Skip forward to 2016 and more pieces of the puzzle are filling in. Uh, now, if you want to see what it looks like for a very pwned address, you can always try test at example.com. That guy's super, super pwned. And you will get a lot of, a lot of uh, blocks falling into the mosaic. So anyway, we just keep scrolling and scrolling and the mosaic fills in. It's a really, really nice little JavaScript implementation that, uh, that fills in this pattern. Uh, and then though you scroll down a little bit and I've got some more interviews of people and the worst possible photo they ever could have taken of me. I look like about 110 years old in here. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> so, but I don't want to go and say, can you change it either? Because that sounds kind of obnoxious. But that is me. They got me at a moment. Uh, so that's the, uh, that's the ABC data mosaic, which I think is a, is a pretty fascinating representation of, of how information is exposed. And I'd really like to do more with Have I Been Pwned to, to visualize data this way. But, you know, then again, they're sitting on top of the public API. So if any of you have any great ideas about how you could do a cool mosaic or other similar visualization of the way data breaches have impacted people, well, you can go and do it. Just plug into the API. Okay. Joe's here from the UK. G'day, Joe. Fritz, weekend is upon us. <laughs> it is upon us. We're still doing renovation stuff. Uh, I don't want to talk about what I'm doing at the moment because I'm leaving it as a surprise till the end of the week when the kids come home. But uh, it is a Saturday morning. There are tradies already in the house at 7.38 in the morning, cutting holes and stuff and building new things. Uh, I'll share that, probably share that Friday. It's going to be cool. It's going to be really cool. <laughs> Let's talk about dot zips. Oh, boy. Well, I, I, I'm trying to be objective about this, but I do feel that there's a bit of a degree of the skies falling, hand-wringing alarmist in folks here. Now, just, just to scroll back, uh, it used to be everything was .com. <laughs> just about everything was .com. Uh, and then, of course, we have TLDs for each country. We've got .com.au, there's .co.uk. For some reason, the Americans have pretty much jumped on .com and said that's ours because you really don't see much .us out there. Different topic. And time has gone by, and then we've had a whole bunch of other TLDs pop up uh, and get used in different ways. The one that always gets me is so many uh, – let me explain this the other way. We've got country-level TLDs, .com.au, Tavuli. Now, if you don't know what Tavuli is, where is Tavuli? It's the middle of nowhere. It's like a little Tivuli. Tavuli, how do you spell that? Not Tivoli. <laughs> I can't even spell it. It's a little, I think it's in the South Pacific, somewhere like Fiji kind of thing. Or maybe Africa, I don't know. Anyway, their country level uh, TLD is .tv. And you see all of these, so, so you know, like clearly it's like, well, you know, if you're in Tavuli, then you get the .tv TLD. But then there's all these streaming media platforms who've gone, we want to have .tv. Uh, not because we're based in that country, but because .tv sounds cool. So TLDs 
I, I guess, get used in very different ways to what you might expect. Uh, now, what's the other one I was thinking of? What's Plex? Plex was like, it's, it is Plex.tv, isn't it? Yeah, Plex.tv. Right, so Plex, streaming media platform, perfect example. Or media library management service, somewhere to index all your pirated video, <laughs> I've been told. So TLDs get used in different ways. There are some weird TLDs out there. There is the .ninja TLD. Now, actually... Why is there a .ninja TLD? And why do I have? I'm sure I have have I been pwned .ninja. Uh, actually, I know the answer to that. Uh, Connection is not secure. That's because I'm just doing a redirect on it without a TLS certificate in there. .ninja TLD. Why does this exist? Uh, There's just lots of people selling it. What is the .ninja TLD? Ninja domain name is not nearly so subtle. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's designed to grab your customer's attention and leave your competition carrying fear. <laughs> Jeez, this has got to be a... Oh, let's go, Daddy. Oh. Of course, ninja is the best known as masters of martial arts, but these days, ninja is used to describe anyone who's among the best in their field. So there is a .ninja TLD. And I, I think it's pretty fair to say that we've just gotten to the point where, for the most part, so many of these TLDs mean absolutely nothing other than looking kind of cool in in a domain name. <laughs> That's, there's so much pointless crap out there with TLDs. Um, let me just have a look at the comments here before I go down this this rabbit hole any further. Uh, Michael Van Dam says, IDF have been pwned. Leaderboard for most pwned breach. Um, could have most pwned individuals in a breach. Uh in Galaxy Far, Far Away, Darth says, like Libya's TLD. What is Libya's TLD? Libya TLD. Um, .ly. Yes, Bitly. Perfect example. Joe says, if you don't own the .ninja domain, then some bloke called Scott does. Yeah, well, so Scott, then the reason I thought of this is Scott has crawler.ninja. Uh, so that's his nightly crawler that goes and indexes all of the top million websites and looks at their security things. So... Um, I guess the point is, is that TLDs, <laughs> there is a tenuous link between the TLD, its semantic intent, and then how it's used in different ways. And now we have .zip and .mov, which, which for the most part is the .ninjas of the TLD world. They're, they've got some vague association, people use them in different ways, and that's it. And where the contention has begun is that they also line up with common file types. <laughs> Now, where do we even begin with the issues <laughs> with this? I think we have to segment it into different issues. I am tempted to write about it if it were not for the fact that I'm trying to write about so many different things and do so many different things. I just don't have time. But uh, I did a little thread on it the other day. Now, l let's maybe start with the one which I, I feel is the easiest to debunk, which is that when it is represented as part of a full URL it is easier to fish someone with it. Now, someone wrote up a piece here, which which is good reading. It's interesting. And now is this? The dangers of uh, Google's .zip TLD. And down here, they, they, they talk about the fact that you can represent a URL with a user info part of the domain name. So you can have your scheme, HTTPS column, blah, blah, blah. And then rather than just have troyhunt.com, you can have uh, whatever you want, which is usually a username password pair at troyhunt.com. Now, this is something I have not seen for many, many years used in any practical way, but the pattern is still honoured. And, and the position that this person here has made, uh, who did actually write this? Bobby. Bobby Arsic. The position that they've, uh, they've put forward is that you can have, where's that URL example? Uh, Dun, 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 dun. You can represent a URL. No, they put it right at the top, didn't they? You can represent a URL which effectively looks like github.com but and ends with .zip. But what you're doing is you're actually having a user part of a domain name and then the rest of it is the .zip TLD domain name and you're redirecting someone to wherever you want them to go as opposed to a .zip file on GitHub. And the assertion is that this will get very, very confusing for people because when they read and carefully inspect that URL, they're going to make an assumption about it, which is not correct. 
The fundamental issue I have with this, and this is what sort of kicked off the whole thread I put out on this, is that it, it, it asserts that people are able to read URLs and make sense of them. <laughs> now, now, just to, be, to caveat this, when we say people, you and I are not people. <laughs> We're not normal people. We are people that live in this world of InfoSec and we're aware of user parts of domain names and TLDs and phishing and all the rest of it. The vast masses of people out there, the mums and dads and battlers of the world, are who we're really talking about when we're talking about phishing. And the, the, the fundamental problem that we have <clears throat> is that it is extraordinarily difficult for most people, even myself included, to read a URL and to understand if just based on what you see alone is good or bad, is the correct one or the incorrect one. Now, that's basically what Bobby here is saying with the .zip TLD, is that you could fool people into thinking that they're going somewhere else. But there are so many different examples of how you can do this anyway. Uh, and, and yes, I know, like adding one more thing to the caboose or one more caboose to the car, or whatever it is, one more example of, of, of bad isn't justification, but I'll come back to that because it's a, it's a, it's a straw man argument. We have lots of ambiguous characters uh, in the alphabet. We have capital I's and L's. We have O's and zeros. Um, not to mention even just getting into the fact that two V's and a W or one V and a W. You're going to actually read all that detail. URLs are often so small as well. There's lots of different ways we can fool someone just by the interchange of characters. <clears throat> then we get to punicode and we get to non-ASCII character sets and all the other things. And then even if you put all that aside and go, oh, yeah, I'm not too worried about that. Just simply knowing what is the correct URL for the service you're going to is a hard problem. So if someone was to position to you that this is the, let's try and pick some random example. If someone was to position to you that this is the support URL for, let's say, ANZ Bank here in Australia, one of our biggest banks, and they say uh, that the support URL for ANZ Bank is uh, anz.support.com, just for argument's sake. You go, oh, is it? Shouldn't it be an ANZ domain? Well, what if it's what if it's anz.com? Well, but sh but it's Australian New Zealand Bank. Shouldn't it be like .au or .nz? I honestly don't know. I wonder if there is a support domain or is it if it's just off the... Anyway, I think this would be an interesting experiment sometime to actually see how many people, myself included, know what the correct URL is for the service you're trying to go to. Now, the, the reason I raise this, I saw a talk at Locomocosec in Hawaii in 2018 by Emily Schechter uh, on the Google Chrome team. And she did this talk about that the difficulties of humans reading and understanding URLs. And Google had done a lot of research into how do we represent URLs in the Omnibar. So if you recall, there has been a lot of, a lot of contention in the past around things like not showing the WW part, not showing the scheme. You know, what bits do you actually show in the URL? And people were losing of minds at the time because they said, well, people won't be able to read the URL and understand what they are. And her point was, is that people are very bad at reading the URL anyway. So the example she gave here is, which URL is the Google blog? Is it blog.google? Is it google.blog? Is it googleblog.com? Is it googleblog.google? Who knows what the answer is? And I remember sitting in the audience and everyone's like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like an audience full of InfoSec pros, I don't know. And if any one of those URLs had been presented to me as being the Google blog, I'd go, yeah, that seems feasible. <clears throat> so the, the problem that we have here is that we simply don't know which URL we're meant to be on. And, and it raises this whole other question about how do we do identity insurance on, on the internet? Uh, EV obviously doesn't work, it never worked, that's why it's effectively dead. <clears throat> so it's not by EV. There are other people that are making browser extensions and things that you can plug in to try and figure out what's legitimate and what's not. That clearly hasn't gotten any mass adoption, otherwise it'd be baked into the browsers. <coughs> um, <clears throat> so it's a, it's a hard problem. And short of having known good URLs in some sort of fashion, perhaps when you first set up the account, you saved in your password manager and you only auto-complete your password by doing it out of the password manager because it's a perfect string match. Um, <clears throat> our Australian government, when they when they say that you've got 
something that you need to see or read or action in the MyGov portal. They send you an email and they say, there's something you need to see your action. Go to MyGov and check it out. And they don't give you a URL and they leave it up to you to figure out how to get there. So inevitably, I go to Google and I search for MyGov and I hope that the first result is the correct one. But when I get there, I auto-complete, auto-fill out of my password manager and if the domain doesn't, yeah. You can see the problem. It is a hard problem. It is a pre-existing problem. And a new TLD that is ambiguous with a file name doesn't change the pre-existing problem. All it does is further illustrates the fact that we as humans can't really read URLs and make any sort of sensible decision from them. Oh, all right. Look at the comments. Scott's here. Cool. So Scott, <laughs> Scott can add a lot of context in here. Uh, but let me yeah, read what was before Scott. So... Guillaume, I think I'm saying it right this time, isn't the broader issue that email clients will auto-convert text to URLs? We're going to come to that in a moment. Uh, Joel <coughs> says, Unicode, Scott, also just hyperlinking a string that looks like a URL but isn't. Um, so I, I think you're trying to give me examples, Scott, but they all truncate. <laughs> so you almost need to take a screen grab of that and then drop it in. Anyway. Uh, Thomas here is a bit late. Uh, try and keep up, Thomas, please. <laughs> Nick007 says, we have a big issue with this at work. We're constantly done phishing tests, but we also use third-party tools for staff surveys and training, et cetera, make it very hard to know what's real and what's not. I'm going to come back to that because that's a really, really excellent point. So let's tackle the bit here about um, Guillaume saying the, the broader issue being that email clients will convert the text URL. First of all, not a new problem. We have files with the .com extension. Uh, they are command files. We have had them before the World Wide Web as we know it today. Uh, it is a pre-existing problem. Now, I will concede that a .com file is not as common, certainly for your everyday person, as a .zip or a .mov, but it is a pre-existing problem. I, I think that the question here is, <clears throat> what happens when we want to give a URL for someone and not have a client automatically hyperlink it. Because this is what's happening now. Uh, you go into Twitter and you link to, you know, example.zip or whatever, and Twitter will automatically hyperlink it because it's a URL. It's a valid TLD. So how do we handle it if we don't want to hyperlink? Because I've had many, many occasions in the past where I've sent people stuff or they've sent me stuff with a URL and they don't want the link to be clickable. Well, what we do is we replace the dot with square braces around the dot. And it works every single time. It doesn't hyperlink. Uh, this happens so many times when people send me what is actually a legitimate URL, but they don't want it to be automatically crawled or indexed or clickable or something, usually because it's got nasty stuff on it. So the point is, is that we, we do have a pattern for that, and it is a pre-existing problem that sometimes we will share things that are either URLs that we don't want to be clickable, or they're not URLs, but we don't want them being converted into things that are clickable as URLs. Does it put you any more at risk? Someone was tweeting at me this morning, um, and in fairness, every one of these conversations as well has been very civil so far. <laughs> it does feel like a topic that's going to go off the rails at some point, though. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so where was the point here? Uh, Alex Greenland. Um, now, I guess the thing I'm a bit cautious here, Alex Greenland is the CEO of Epi, uh, and Epi does create, what is it that Epi creates? Stop phishing attacks. Um, vested interest, I guess, is where I'm going with this. But, you know, his point here was, uh, uh, how does the TLD make things better? Well, because he said, okay, people can't read domains and URLs, but how does the .zip TLD make things better? And I sort of said, well, it, it doesn't make things better, but it also doesn't make things worse. It's, it's, it's a TLD. It, is, it, it has no emotion. <laughs> like it's, it's not out there trying to save the world or make the world any worse. It's just, like it, it, it is what it is. And he sort of said, look, to, to save people, I have registered version 1.zip. And if you go to version 1.zip, you go to... Uh, corporately branded website which says version 1.zip has been proactively blocked for your protection so of course the first thing i did is i went i wonder if i can register version 2.zip you know like how far down the rabbit hole do you go uh now the answer is no you can't version 3.zip i couldn't register that either and then i thought i'm going to register new version 1.zip <laughs> and that was available 
And then I went, nah, this is just getting stupid. So I just went and registered troyhunt.zip and have I been pwned.zip instead because domain's quitting. Um, it's just a, it, it, it's a bit of a spurious argument here. Now, Nick 007's point here when he said, we have this big issue at work, we're constantly doing uh, phishing tests, but we also have to use third party for staff surveys, training, et cetera. It's very hard to know what's real and what's not. You've nailed it. And I think one of the big issues here is that what makes phishing so successful, one of the things that makes phishing so successful is that legitimate corporate communications are often indistinguishable from phishing attacks. Now, I mentioned ANZ before. So I I do a talk where I have ANZ in the talk. I haven't done this one for a while. Uh I did actually do this one at ANZ as well, which was quite fun. I was there for some training years ago. Did a workshop for a couple of days and then did a talk that was much broader company-wide event. And I gave an example of an email that I had received from ANZ uh, at a time when I was previously an ANZ customer. And I got an email saying, we've got a new app. Click here to go and download the app. And I get that. And I'm like, hang on a second. We keep telling people don't follow links and emails to download and run things. This looks fishy. Okay, but I'm a professional, so let's let's figure out what's going on. So on my iThing, I click the link and I tap and I hold and this crazy big URL comes up. It's definitely not got an anz.com or .com.au or .co.nz or any of those things in it. Super fishy looking. And I'm like, hang on a second. Ah, yellow. <laughs> Let's just see what happens. And I click it, and it goes off to another URL, which is an Adobe Omniture URL, so for logging and everything. Now, when I'm doing this talk, including to when I did it in ANZ, I'm like, okay, look at this. Would you trust this URL? And every single person is like, nope, 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 nope. But it was legit. It was legit. I know it was legit because I followed up with ANZ afterwards. I was like, hey, I saw this thing. Now, when I did the talk at ANZ, it's like all the security folks are sitting there and just like, oh, it's a fucking marketing department every time. And, and this, is, this is what it is. So much corporate communication, legitimate communication is indistinguishable from a phishing attack. So to be worried about things like putting a dot .zip in a name somewhere when we're continually sending out messaging, which looks just like a phishing attack. And honestly, even if we sent someone a URL, if we sent out a million emails to a million people, and somewhere in that URL was this is a phishing attack.com, you would still have a bunch of people clicking on it. And I doubt that it would be much different to if it was version one.zip somewhere. Because people don't read URLs and they don't understand them. And every single time we get people trying to make examples of how this is going to make things worse, it just it just doesn't in the infosec bubble it makes sense, but it just doesn't stack up to the way people in the real world are using URLs. Now I sort of said in this thread earlier on, I said, look. Like it or not, it's here, right? .zip TLD is here. What we need is time and empirical evidence. You know, like, listen, I have a view on this. Other people have a view on this. Let's give it time. Let's see what happens. I would be really interested to see, let's say 12 months from now, give it enough time. Do we have any empirical evidence that phishing attacks are more heavily favoring the .zip TLD than other TLDs. Of course, it's going to be used sometimes as a new TLD. We see new TLDs and new domains used all the time in phishing attacks. Is it used more once everything settles down than .ninja or .com or something like that? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. Scott says, uh, the links with the Emily talk you mentioned. Ah, see, I thought they were phishing links. <laughs> so people can find it. So Scott was sitting there with me. We're both sitting there uh, watching Emily's talk, and I think we both thought it was great. Joel says, Nick Dollar, so I 100% agree. Had to educate a colleague yesterday about a survey tool appearing dodgy. But you, you see how there's no consistency as well. So we know there's a lot of dodgy-looking stuff. So what should we do? Uh, should we do what MyGov does and not send a link at all? Well, that's a shitty user experience. Like it, it, it is. Even for me, I get that, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I've got to go and figure out what the website is and how to get there, sort of thing. Should we link to a URL which actually has the a .gov.au TLD? Well, then we're back to the issue of people not really being being able to read that stuff properly anyway. It, it is an enormously difficult problem, which is why phishing is still so massively prevalent. 
I think if we had to give advice to, to users, things like a password manager are a massive part of the solution. If your password manager can't automatically fill your password in on this website, and so many of these phishing attacks are obviously stealing credentials, different if it's credit cards, because if you put a credit card in your password manager, well, you could enter it into any number of different sites. But, but that's sort of one of the, the few mechanisms we have which because you have to string match, right? Like you have to have a known good version of the domain that you can programmatically string match. You can't do it with your eyes because your eyes can't discern the differences between characters, let alone when you get one of those massive long URLs. Uh, Michael says a rabbit hole for local TLDs can go really off the rails. In Belgium, you have .brussels and then the, the uh, I was going to say the Brussels version, the uh, Flemish Dutch version dot Brussels with a with an X instead of double S uh, and dot Brussels, where a company in the Belgian capital might register one but not the other two. <laughs> Michael says, "Wait for the dot PDF TLD. That'd be fun." People will take to Twitter to complain about that. In between complaining about Twitter on Twitter, Fritz gets some Zs. We'll watch the rest tomorrow. Okay, good night. Uh, Scott, hey, what about the crawler.ninja? I've already mentioned that. You were late. Uh, I mentioned that when you weren't here. Someone else mentioned it further up too. Yeah, and like I said, likelihood that anyone unknowingly sent me that link is low. <coughs> so we, we have this, this constant problem with humans reading URLs. Now, none of us have a good fix for this. Otherwise, we'd be freaking billionaires and I wouldn't be here I'd probably still be here doing this if I'm honest. But um, it is a hard problem we don't have good fixes for. And we do keep trying different things. You know, obviously, things like EV, that's, it just didn't work. We're chucking that out. Different companies trying things. Don't send the URL at all. Send a URL in the company domain. YOLO, just send whatever URL we want. Hide it behind an image somewhere, but then people block images. It's just, it's a good industry to be in. Let's <laughs> Let's maybe leave it at that. Okay, while you're thinking of other questions to ask about that or anything else, next thing. Now, this is this is the big, big data breach of the week, Luxottica. Boy, oh boy, I'm going to use some stats on Luxottica. So uh, I had not heard of Luxottica until sometime last year. And the reason I had heard about it is someone sent me a very large amount of Luxottica data. Now, that the data they sent me, I couldn't easily attribute back to the company. Now, in case you're just catching up here, Luxottica is an unfamiliar name that owns many familiar brands. Uh, for example, Ray-Bans. Now, I'm not sure if they actually own the brand or if they manufacture the sunglasses, but Ray-Bans, Oakley, uh, a whole bunch of other fancy names that I hadn't heard of. But if you have bought any of these products, which particularly in Australia, I feel like I, I buy one of those products multiple times a year because they're always here with the sunglasses on. And then you're always dropping them and whatever else. So anyway, they make all of these common, very, very common brands. Um, someone sent me a bunch of data. It wasn't easy to attribute it back to the source. And it, to be honest, it went into a hard basket. I was having a discussion with the person that sent it to me, trying to figure it out, just couldn't work it out. It popped up again on a, I used to say a popular hacking forum because I didn't want to name somewhere that was actively trading in stolen data, data breaches, whatever we call them. But it was Breach Forums. Now, Breach Forums is now defunct. And Breach Forums had this post. And let's go back and have a look at what was actually in the Breach Forums post here. Where were we? Luxottica, Luxottica. This is all on Bleeping Computer now. The Breach Forums post, uh, it was the 7th of November last year. Luxottica data dating back to 2021. They say 300 million records. It's one of these things where there's a, there's many, many, many records, which is a superset of all the unique customers because you have one person appear multiple times or other records, other things. Uh, this person says, I'm selling the customer of Luxottica American and Canadian companies' retail stores. All combined, it is 306 million records. Uh, they say 14 million from Canada. It contains a lot of PII data, mainly emails, first name, middle name, last name, address, date of birth, and more. The data is split into 500 plus parquet files. Don't often see parquet files in data breaches, but here we are. Totaling 123 gig, and parquet is already compressed. It can't, uh, it can 
easily be transferred to any format such as CSV. If you're blind like a bat or one of some slick shades, you're probably in this. This data wasn't hacked nor breached. This was acquired legally. Now, this is, this is what's interesting. I still don't feel that we have a right answer for this. No blame on buyers, me nor the company who was holding this data. All blame falls on Luxottica. They agreed to the terms. Big companies like this love to label people who report such things as extorters or simply ignore them. You see, if you're such a big company, such things like this can't happen. Bit of odd hacker righteousness. Also, I'll let Luxottica come out with how this was found. It's pretty laughable. This was also found very recently, but data from 2021. Luxottica finally fixed PM for details of source. Right, so, uh, and then those brands uh, he's listed down here. Uh, brands such as Lenscraft, Sunglass Hut, which is where I buy all my sunnies from, and I did go through and look for myself in the data, not in there. <clears throat> Pearl Vision, Target Optical and Glass.com. It also owns iMed, one of the largest vision health insurance providers. It's best known. Brands are Costa, Ray-Ban, Persol, Oliver, Peoples and Oakley. Now, I've definitely bought lots of Ray-Bans and Oakleys before as well. So, yeah, somehow I'm not in there. Right, so huge amount of data that the source, again, is, is a little bit weird. Now, through various back channels of discussion during the week, uh, I had discovered that Luxottica had made a statement that statement now appears in the Bleeping Computer article. So here's the statement from Luxottica. We discovered through our proactive monitoring procedures that certain retail customer data allegedly obtained through a third party related to Luxottica retail customers was published in an online post. I've no doubt this bit is true. Now, of course, remembering that online post was November last year. We immediately reported the incident to the FBI and the Italian police. Uh, Luxottica, I believe, is of Italian origin. The owner of the website where the data was posted has been arrested by the FBI and the FBI is shut down and the investigation is ongoing. Now, this, this is true, but I don't like the way it's worded. So if we recall, Breach Forums was shut down a couple of months ago, taken down by the FBI and friends. They arrested, what was the guy? Connor Fitzpatrick, I think was the guy. Uh, young male, no surprises there, running Breach Forums under the, the pseudonym Pompompurian. Uh, what, what I feel is, uh, incidentally, apparently attempted suicide recently too, which is a very, very sad thing to hear uh, for, for, for anyone. But for a young person who obviously has a whole bunch of cyber skills to have ended up in this, it's just, it's sad. You know, it's, it's a life wasted. Uh, what what I, I guess I don't like about that Luxottica statement is, is it sort of implies that this was all related to Luxottica, you know? They reported to the FBI, and then the owner of the website where it was was arrested and the website got shut down. Now, of course, Luxottica was one of a gazillion other things, and it is more likely some of the things that more specifically targeted, I think, one of the, the recent posts to um, breach for where it went down did have a bunch of US government data in there, which is poking the bear somewhat. The Italian Data Protection Authority has also been notified, and we are considering other notification obligations. Now, this... I find an interesting term. Let me flick over to my other screen for a bit. Have I been pwned is currently sending 276,408 emails to my subscribers, of which there are 4.555 million at the moment. So that's the intersection of my subscribers in the Luxottica breach. It's sending another 48,822 people monitoring domains where there's email addresses that have been in the breach. <clears throat> Uh, so in total, we are sending, let's call it 325,000-ish emails to people right now. As it relates to other notification obligations, I will take a fairly solid bet that I'm going to get a bunch of messages from people <coughs> saying, I had not heard of this until now. Nobody told me. I read this as though they have not contacted the people who've been breached. We'll find out very soon. Now, I will be very interested if this is the case, <clears throat> in part because they are well and truly within that GDPR jurisdiction being Italian-based. And of course, there'll be many people in there from the EU. And I just find it curious, a little bit like the Deezer situation before, that French streaming music service. Scott was in Deezer. I think I can say that. It's not like it's actually Madison, mate. I won't tell them about that one. Uh, a little bit like the situation there where they just, just didn't notify people. 
and then you, people get notifications from have I been pwned. This obviously shouldn't be the way. Let me look at the comments before I keep going through here because I can see a bunch of stuff scrolling through. Scott's talking about quacks. He's written about quacks. <coughs> uh, <laughs> save us from EV. Um, Michael, uh, Brussels is French, the capital. I have been to Brussels. Josh, this one caught me. Uh, what else is in here? <laughs> Michael Van Damme says, enlighten me. Why do you need to provide personal data for sunglasses? I'll give you a good answer for this. Every time I buy glasses from Sunglasses Hut, I give them my personal information. The reason I do it is because <clears throat> I forget the exact time frame, but it's something like if your glasses are scratched or damaged or broken within 12 months, they will give you another pair for half price. I'm constantly dropping and breaking sunglasses. And I go back in there and I say, this is my phone number. <clears throat> and they look it up and they're like, yes, I can see that this was the purchase. Uh, here's your half price pair of sunnies. So th th there is actually a, a valid reason for me, at least. Joel says, why do you need that for any purchase? We tracked at the local little in return of 10% off bakery goods. Uh, I guess it depends on where you buy from as well. If you buy online, obviously you're handing over personal data because I've got to post it to you. So maybe that's collected and then, then aggregated. Josh says, note your email blast was my first notification or against two emails I control. Oh, that's interesting. So Josh, were you in the Luxottica data breach. I'm just looking at where we're at here. Um, oh, boy. Okay, I think I've sent all the emails. What's going on here? Having a different problem queuing up notifications. All right. <laughs> oh, resource. The request limit for the database is 200 and has been reached. I need to scale the database. Okay, we can all do this together. Da, da, da. Dashboard database. This is the joy of. Uh, have I been paying getting just so freaking big? Why is it doing that? Transport level occurred in certified sessions. Trying again soon. Okay, well, if I go here and I go to the database, there's nothing we can't fix with cloud. Uh, and I go there and I go, where's our scale? compute and storage talk amongst yourselves we're nearly there there's one of the um one of the things i really need to work on with have i been pwned is there you go scaled job done is the streamlining of breach processing because we're, we're nearly a decade in now it'll be a decade on the 4th of december and it's basically still all the same code and all the same processes that were working there with 150 million records and zero subscribers. And now there's like 12 and a half billion records and four and a half and a bit million subscribers. So it's um, it's fun, but it's increasingly time consuming. Where were we? Scott's shushing my uh, issue. That's the Ashley Madison thing. Yeah, so... Um, Joel looks like Matt as well. The message from HRBP was first I've heard it. Now, the reason I was looking over here is it does look like all the emails have uh, have successfully been at least queued. I do find if I suddenly send a big bulk of emails, SendGrid, who is my email provider of choice, will try and filter them out a little bit slowly uh, to particularly large hosts because it looks like if they suddenly have a big burst, then more stuff goes to spam. So for those of you getting emails, I'm curious, were you told by Luxottica? I think the answer is going to be no. Uh, secondly, have you ever bought glasses? Which is, you know, glasses, sunglasses. I think it's going to be a large portion of us. So I'm just curious to hear your experience there. Uh, I'm going down. HRBP should sign, should sign of you. You heard it first at HRBP. Jesse, you're correct. I received your email but was never notified by the company because inevitably what's going to happen now is a bunch of people, which may include Jesse, are going to contact Luxottica and say, hey, my data is in this Luxottica breach. Now, whether it's Luxottica or a third party, I'm going to finish their statement in a moment. Who did you give the data to? Well, you gave it to Sunglass Hat or Ray-Ban or someone like this, which, which is them. Now, maybe they then entrusted a third party and somewhere in the pipeline of data and the way everything flows around and got breached. It's you gave the data to them. You know, they're accountable here. Okay, uh, Josh says I was in there twice at least. Yes, okay, all right, that's interesting. 
Yeah, I'm Troy doing full 180s with his head. <laughs> Look at these other. It is like that, honestly. So screen one, screen two starts there, and then it goes to there, and then screen three goes to there. It's awesome. It's so cool until you lose the mouse. <laughs> and, and occasionally it really messes with me. I haven't lost the mouse. It's just it's a wireless mouse. The battery's gone flat. And I'm like, I know that this cursor is here somewhere, and I'm looking all around trying to find the cursor. Oh, the battery's flat. Uh, Josh says, not told. I have bought glasses, both Oakley and from Sunglass Hat. Um, Josh, where was the Sunglass Hat? Was it Sunglass Hat Hut uh, in Australia or another part of the world? I had only ever thought of Sunglass Hut here, but I guess they have them in other parts of the world. Scott's unfamiliar with sun. That's, you know, when you come out looking pink? That's sun, mate. Matt, not notified by Luxottica. I have bought glasses. Uh, Josh says Georgia, USA. Okay, All right. I guess they're everywhere. Wayne says mouse uh, utilities in Power Toys, and I am using Fancy Zones from Power Toys, so yeah, I probably should get on top of that. Let me finish the Luxottica statement. From our investigation, which is still going on, we know so far that the data primarily consists of customer contact details, including names, addresses, phone numbers, emails, and dates of birth. The data does not include individuals' financial information, social security numbers, login or password data, or other information that would compromise the safety of our customers. Until that last bit, I was okay. The fields, correct. I think the only thing they haven't mentioned here is there are genders as well. Um, I think that, yeah, they do mention dates. Look, genders, look, genders is personal. You should be able to put whatever you want in your gender and not have it exposed to other people. The likelihood for most people of it doing any harm is low compared to dates of birth, which are often used as static knowledge-based authentication. So I'm a bit more worried about the DOBs being leaked. The bit I'm a bit uncomfortable here is when it says, or other information that would compromise the safety of our customers. Because I suspect if we were to ask those 77 million people whose data appeared there, does leaking your, your name, your phone number, your home address, your email address, do you feel that it compromises the safety of yourself? I think many people would say yes. Now, I feel like the way that maybe this is like translated from Italian back to English from ChatGPT or something like that, but log on or password data or other, or other information that would compromise. It's almost like there's all this stuff. There's nothing else that would make things any worse. It's just, but I mean, this should be up to the individual to decide, should it not? Like let everybody know and then... Everyone can decide if it presents a risk to them or not. I feel like this is something that they should they should just send the people the data. SLO Luxottica, I can't pronounce it, remains confident that its systems were not breached and its networks remains network remains secure. Which you know, again, it's saying it's a partner. Now I think part of the problem here is they haven't told us what happened. So we don't know which partner it is. Uh, I'm just looking for a word, a particular word here. Uh, here we go. So this is from the Bleeping Computer article. When asked when they first realised the breach, a Luxottica person answered, we first learned of the incident from a third-party post on the dark web in November 2022. Now, there's two massive problems, and it's the last five words of this. Dark web, it's not the dark web. It was the clear web. It was literally... The Breach Forums website. What was it? Breach Forums. I think originally it was .to and then it was VC. Like it's, it, it is not the dark web. It's a clear web forum. And the other bit is November 2022. December, January, February, March, April, May. Six months ago. So six months ago, they knew that tens of millions of people had their data that, the, this is another thing that bugs me. The whole statement seems to recognize that it is Luxottica customer data, because they do say allegedly obtained related to Luxottica, because it's alleged, alleged, allegedly related to Luxottica retail customers. But then they go down and they say, this is all the data uh, and there's nothing else that would compromise the safety of our customers. So it, I read this as an admission that it is their data, but I'm reading between the lines. Like it's not an explicit, yeah, we got pwned sort of thing. And then it's like it's a customer or a third party, but we don't say who it is. And then, like, good luck. <laughs> it's just, it, it, feels, it feels bad. It feels bad. What are the other comments here? Um, 
Yeah, Power Toys. Um, Wayne, I'll get on that. Double tap control. The yeah, funny thing is, I, I've run this in the past, and when I lose the mouse, I have been double tapping control because there's just something in my muscle memory, which is like double tap control. You'll find the mouse. <laughs> I've forgotten that it was from Power Toys. I'll set that up after I finish this. Joel says, L- losing the mouse across three, four 26-inch mice at least four times a day. <laughs> uh, Joel loves fancy zones. Yeah, my name was never leaked, nor anyone else's uh, in chat today. <laughs> this is a joke. Josh, a data point. My two notification emails, one for my customer domain, one for Gmail, arrived almost exactly one hour apart. Yeah, so the, the way the delivery works is it does sequentially go through every uh, email address that is in the intersection of the data breach and they have a main post subscribers. It drops it into an Azure message queue. It's very fast to do that. It, it does it, I don't know how many times a second, a lot of times a second. But when you're sending you know, four or 325,000 something emails, uh, it will take, I don't know, like an hour for argument's sake to go through and drop them all in the queue. And then SendGrid will control the rate at which they get sent out. Uh, so I'm not surprised at all that that took a while there. Josh? So it will be interesting to see if Fluxotica comes out and actually proactively notifies people. I think, and Scott, you can probably com- uh, confirm, I think Deezer did eventually go out and notify people, but it was like many weeks after it was in Have I Been Pwned, which I think was many months after they actually knew about it and had reported to CNIL, their French um, regulator as well. So, yeah, Scott says, yeah, eventually. So that's um, that shouldn't be my job. It really it shouldn't be my job to, to tell people that they're in a data breach of a company who already knows that they're in a data breach and just hasn't told people. Uh, and it is fascinating that both those organisations are smack bang in the middle of GDPR territory and that hasn't been enough to get them to do what is obviously the right thing to do. Okay, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there and go downstairs and see how many more holes I've cut in the house while the tradies are doing their thing. Thank you very much for tuning in. I'll come to you next week. I'll try and get back on track next week. I'll do this uh, probably on the Friday morning next week. I'll chat to you then. See ya. Where's that mouse gone?